Hello, hello. Welcome to the first episode of the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club, a podcast very high on horror films, a place where fame isn't everything. It's the only thing. My name is Devon Taylor. I am your host. I'm a creative artist. Um, I write. I do photography. I make short films. I do a little bit of everything. But on top of that, I'm a horror junkie. I love it. It has uh, been my favorite genre since I was a kid. It just runs deep within my dark heart. It's embedded in my soul. If it's still there, we will figure that out eventually. But on top of that, I am a cannabis enthusiast. So whenever I say that this podcast is high on horror films, I mean it literally and figuratively. Um, I love horror films. That's what this podcast is going to be about. It's going to be me talking to you about my favorite horror films. Just me and you. I'm creating an intimate experience here. Just me and you. There's not going to be guests um, for 75% of this um, podcast. It's just me and you. We're going to get high and we're just going to talk movies. Well, I'm going to talk movies to you, but as if it was, you know, both of us, um, you know, I'm not a film critic or anything. Like I said, I have written, uh, editorials and reviews for Nightmare on Film Street and a few other websites, um, for a few years. Um, but I don't consider myself a critic or anything. I'm not like Rotten Tomato certified. Um, I'm a amateur filmmaker at best. So, you know, I'm by means no expert. However, I just watch a lot of horror films. Like, that's just what I love to do. I watch a lot of movies in general, but that's just what I love to do. And I love to get high. I smoke every day, all day. I wake up. I bake. That's what we do. And I'm not trying to force this lifestyle on anybody else. But if this is your lifestyle, hopefully you connect. Because there are some benefits to obviously watching horror films while you're high and taking notes and whatever. But... Um, this podcast, that's what, that's what it is. Um, I live in LA, so marijuana is obviously legal here. So, you know, whatever goes on in your state, you know, that's on you, but that's just where we're at here. So the way that the podcast go work, I'm going to break it down a little bit. We're going to talk some movies. Um, obviously we're going to, uh, get into a little bit. Okay. Sorry, bear with me. This is the first day back on the job. I haven't podcasted in three years. But we're getting it together, and I'm not editing shit. This is what you, straight through what you hear and see is what you get. So, I'm going to break down this podcast. We're going to walk along, you know. But the way that's going to work, first of all, is I'm going to get high. We're going to get high. I encourage you to get high with me, um, you know. Uh... Like I said, I don't force marijuana culture on anybody, but if you want to get on my level, on the zone, this is the time to do it. I'm going to play the theme music. I'm going to light up. Um, I'm going to tell you about what we're smoking. We're smoking today um, a little biscotti. It is an indica. Um, the, the, the flower itself is purple. It has uh, some crystals in it. Um, it is an indica, but it, it's not super heavy, though. I usually smoke hybrids. But this is a straight indica. We're not mixing it up today. We're just going to go straight uh, biscotti, uh, courtesy of Tradecraft Farms. They are not sponsoring this podcast unless they want to. But um, if you are in the L.A. area, uh, look out for Tradecraft Farm products. Uh, they grow incredible weed. So that's what we're smoking today. I'm smoking a joint. Now, let's get this out of the way because this is called the Bloody Blunts Podcast. I get that. Now, one, I learned bloody blunt is a thing. A bloody blunt is a blunt dipped in lean. I don't know why you'd want to do that. That sounds awful. 
that sounds like a headache, but I'm not doing that. So I don't encourage smoking bloody blunts if unless they're your thing. More power to you. Not my thing. I also, I mean, I, I, I like blunts. I mean, who doesn't like blunts? But it's not my primary method of smoking. I'm a bong guy. I got the bong ready as well. I'm a bong guy, but bloody bongs didn't have quite the ring to it that uh, bloody blunts does. You know, got that alliteration in there. Got the BB. I love it. Bloody bongs. Ugh, you hear that voice crack? Love it. <laughs> um, but yeah. So that's what we're smoking today. We're smoking a joint. Uh, sometimes I'll smoke from the bong. Sometimes I will smoke blunts, but blunts take up a lot of weed. So I don't prefer to smoke blunts. And um, bongs are a little bit easier on my throat too. So bear with me if my throat gets a little scratchy or if I drink some water. I got ice cream on deck. But let's go ahead and get into it. I promise the intros are going to be a lot shorter than this um, in the future. You know, but like I said, this is the first episode, baby. This is the pilot. Um, I don't have the training wheels on. I'm a, I'm a podcaster. I know what I'm doing, but you know, it, it's been a minute. I'm but I'm I'm back on the horse, baby. So without further ado, I'm gonna play some music. I'm gonna light this joint up. We're gonna chill for a sec. Like I said, I encourage you to um, smoke up as well. Take pictures and send them to me on Twitter or Instagram. I don't know, but let's go ahead and get into it. Need some water first. You guys ready for this? And we're off and running, baby. Let's go. First episode. I'm hype. do you guys like that? You know, maybe I'll fade it out a little bit better in the future. That wasn't very smooth, but that's okay. Like I said, first episode, baby, let's just keep on rolling. We're rocking and rolling. Um, a few shout outs out the gate is for the podcast intro music. It is done by my uncle. His name is Dre from Ukraine on Instagram check him out. He does, um, scores for short films. He does beats. He makes beats for, you know, hip hop music and, uh, dance stuff. Very talented producer. Obviously we're trying to keep it in the family around here on Bloody Blunts. So shout out to him for the theme music. Shout out to Vintage Redo, another one of my homies out here in LA. She, uh, runs a business selling vintage clothing that she, you know, modifies and prints and does all sorts of cool stuff, really cool finds. So she hooked me up with this Newport Pleasure uh, t-shirt. Um, depending on how I do the video, because it's probably going to be monochrome, but I'm going to cut a section out right here for Vintage Redo so you can actually see what the shirt looks like, what it, what it properly looks like, what everything else looks like. 
but I'm going to change uh, all that soon. This necklace, shout out to my girlfriend. I stole it from her jewelry rack, uh, but how fucking metal is that? I mean, it's a fucking blade. So, you know, you're talking shit. I'm going to just fucking, uh, just fucking come out of this fucking podcast. Try me. <laughs> but yeah, so shout out to them, uh, Vintage Redux. Um, check out her stuff online. Find her on Instagram. She has great stuff. I'll probably be wearing a bunch of her stuff on the podcast. So if you're watching on YouTube, check the shirt out. If you like what you see, go uh, go shop. You know, support uh, small businesses, small podcasts, small businesses. Everybody's trying to support each other. But now that we got all that out the way, <laughs> we're going to get to the movies here in a sec. Uh, the movies that we're talking about today. Today we are talking about The Neon Demon uh, directed by Nicholas Winding Refn in 2016. And we are also talking about Starry Eyes, directed by... I had my notes up, motherfucker. Uh, Kevin Kolsch and Dennis Widmeyer um, back in 2014. So those are the movies we're covering. And if you didn't listen to the trailer for the podcast, we might talk one movie. We might talk a couple movies. I'm going to talk franchises uh, in different, in multiple parts uh, across the podcast. Uh, we might just talk about one. We might talk about a director. Who knows? Um, it's just whatever I fucking feel like talking about. But I will let you know in advance. Don't worry. I do have a slate and I will let you guys know in advance because this kind of, you know, I want to kind of work like a book club. I want you guys to keep up with me and I want you to watch the movies ahead of time because I'm totally going to spoil the shit out of these movies. Um, that like out the gate, every single episode will be spoiler filled. I don't care if it's a brand new movie that came out yesterday. I don't care if I saw the movie before you and I put this podcast up, there's going to be spoilers in it. So just know that. So I encourage you check on social media. I'm going to tell you what movies to watch. I'm going to say, Hey, these are the movies uh, that I'm covering on the podcast. Make sure you check them out. And so that way we're on the same page or don't, I don't really give a shit. <laughs> I'm just gonna, I'm gonna talk about it the same way anyways, but I want you to, you know, be along with the ride. You know, we're, we're, we're creating an, an experience, a community, a cult, whatever you want to call it. That's what we're, we're creating here. So the way the podcast got work, this is, it's just me. It's just me. Um, I realized a lot of the podcasts that I love, um, some of my favorite podcasts, like, you know, a lot of the podcasts I listen to do have duos or, you know, a few hosts, which is great. You know, that's always great. So you have somebody to bounce things off of. Um, at the same time, some of my favorite podcasts are just solo podcasts where, you know, this becomes a diary of sorts for me. Um, but just to, just to be able to ramble on for however fucking long I feel like talking about, I'm kind of bad whenever I'm a guest on podcasts, like, Whenever I don't know whether to to interject or not, like to be like, oh, is it is it my turn to talk or uh, or I, I have a bad habit of cutting people off. Like you'll find out whenever I do have hosts. But I just I, I felt like the solo format was going to work. But we are going to have guests on here and there here and there. We will have a couple special guests. Hopefully we'll get some filmmakers on, um, you know, people that work in the industry, but also some of my favorite writers. Um you know, other podcast hosts as well, you know, who knows, we're gonna hopefully do some YouTube collaborations, because um, I've said it a couple times, but this podcast, you can watch on YouTube, you don't have to just listen to it in podcast form, um, I still prefer that you download the podcast, so still subscribe, 
and whether on Spotify or iTunes. Um, but also subscribe on YouTube at Bloody Blunts, but with just, you know, spelled normal, not with three O's. Um, oh, I didn't even shout out my social media yet. That's at the end. But anyways, find me on uh, YouTube at Bloody Blunts and watch it. I encourage you to watch it. Um, I think it's a fun experience as well because, like I said, I want it to be like, you know, you're sitting down chatting with me. Like, me and you, like, I'm a, I can pass you this joint, you know, and be like, here you go if you're smoking, you know we can, we're going to make it work. So, um, I encourage you to listen on Spotify, iTunes, or watch on YouTube because that's part of the fun. So we're going to talk about a couple movies today because I think that these two movies are a good representation of my taste. So you can start getting to know me. Um, you know, you're going to get to know me throughout the course of the podcast because it's just, it's just me. So you're going to get to know me and my taste. So I didn't feel like I needed to do a intro episode where it's just me talking about myself you know you'll figure it out if you care you'll follow me on twitter and instagram you'll get to know me one way or the other so i'm not just gonna sit here and talk about myself and my background uh and and my taste and things like that you'll figure that out i mean the next episode is kind of a little bit more of a background episode but we're still talking movies though so uh, i'll t- we'll i'll get to that a little bit later get a drink of water Hope you like some ASMR in there. Um, hopefully you don't hear the fan in the background. I got this cute little fan going. If you do hear some grunts, um, I do have a little friend in the room. Um, he'll make an appearance a little bit later, but he's sleeping right now, so I don't want to disturb him. Um, so benefit of watching the YouTube version, you're going to get to see this cute little fucker here in a little bit. But uh, if you hear some weird grunts in the background, nobody is dying, I promise. Well, I don't promise, but, um, it's a, you'll see, you'll, you'll meet him here in a little bit, probably, probably towards the end. Cause he, he is napping right now and I don't want to bother him and I don't want him going crazy while I'm trying to record either. So you'll, you'll see, you'll meet him in a little bit. So let me relight this joint because it's went out. I haven't taken a puff in a minute. Yeah, baby. Keep it going. So, the two movies we're talking about, I don't really have a format, by the way, we're going to do this. I have a bunch of notes that I take while I watch these movies, and that's it. Um, I'm not researching, reading other people's articles, or things like that, because I want to just be my pure, unfiltered opinion. Minus, like, you know, I like to look at behind-the-scenes stuff a little bit as well, so, you know... But a lot of that is just drawn on my own knowledge. But if I do say something that you mentioned in an article or a podcast episode and I didn't give you credit, it's because I didn't know that that's where I was pulling that information from. So we're going to talk about, since we have two movies for this one, we're going to, you know, compare, contrast them a little bit. I'm not just going to sit here and summarize both of them. I mean, I'll give you quick summaries and then I'm just going to talk about the things I like about both of them, uh, things that I notice um, you know, theories, um, stuff like that, you know, um, I, w- I guess I'd call this an analysis, but I'm not a, I'm not an expert. I'm not a critic or anything. However, one of my articles was used in a college course that somebody teaches on horror films. That was pretty fucking cool. Um, whenever I talk about found footage movies, we'll get to that and I'll shout her out properly cause I wasn't prepared. But, um, 
But no, I'm not an expert. I just watch these movies. I'm usually stoned. I turn up the music. And I, I like to take notes. And that's why I do it. So, you know, I'll give you brief summaries. But it's basically like, hey, let me give you... If I was telling you to watch this movie, this is what I'd tell you. Or if, like, we just got done watching it together, this is the way that I'd talk about that movie. So, since we got two of them, we're going to compare, contrast a little bit. I will lean a little bit towards the Neon Demon. Uh, I like it a smidge more, even though I have a Starry Eyes tattoo, and I don't yet have a Neon Demon one. But um, that's, um, I do lean towards the Neon Demon, so we'll probably talk a little bit more about that. Um, but yeah, we're just gonna can compare, contrast a little bit. Why did I choose these two movies? I chose these two movies because so Nicholas Winding Refn is a he's a auteur director, I guess you could say auteur, if you if you will. Um, all of his films are very stylish. They're very unique in his uh, vision of the way he makes these films. Um, they all kind of he uses you know, similar actors. He's, he's one of those directors. Um, he does indies. He doesn't really do like big budget blockbusters or anything. Um, but he, and what I love about Nicholas Weinreffen, he's one of my favorite filmmakers because his movies are unapologetically him. They are just, you watch, if you saw a movie of his, you know, instantly, this is a Nicholas Weinreffen joint, um, by the colors they uses, the way that his dialogue is. Oh, man, my voice already sounds like shit. <sighs> but, you know, and that's something I strive for as a filmmaker. I want to, you know, have my uh, directing signatures, if you will, um, you know, my recurring motifs, things like that. So he's a director that I watch his films over and over again because I like um, the way that he uses these things, these themes, these motifs uh, visually. He uses the same composer a lot of the time, <clears throat> and um, his films are, you know, they're they're weird. They they are, you know, I won't say hate them or love them, but most people are on either side with his films. Um, his films rarely are in the middle. Um, when his movies debut at Cannes, at Cannes, Cannes, I've never said this out loud. Cannes Film Festival? No, Cannes Film Festival. Whew. You guys are gonna re you guys are gonna like revoke my film nerd card already because I don't know. What we'll go with Sundance. There we go. Fuck fuck that other film festival. Um, because I'm pretty sure it happened at Sundance as well. A lot of the times when he premieres his films at festivals, they are met with standing ovations and boos. Um, people will walk out of his movies, but then they'll applaud afterwards for ten minutes. Other people. So his movies draw different reactions and he, he is a filmmaker that he wants to get reactions out of you. Um, he's a, he's a, a provocateur, if you will. He's an auteur, but a provocateur. And that's something I strive for in my photography. I strive for that in my filmmaking. And I just, that's what I want to, that's why I want to emulate. So I, I do watch his films a lot. Drive is one of my favorite films back in 2011. Um, Only God Forgives is a film that a lot of people seem to not like, but I like that film as well. And then um, he um, did some movies, uh, the Pusher series back in the 90s, or like late 90s, early 2000s, I don't know. Don't have that up right now because this isn't about Nicholas Winding Refn. Um, but yeah, Drive is one of my favorite films, but The Neon Demon is an interesting movie 
because the first time I watched it, I wasn't huge on it. I was super excited for it because I love, at the time, I had just discovered Drive, like not too far before that. And I was watching his films and I was so excited when I saw the trailers for Neon Demon. I was very excited for it. And then um, this is before I learned to, hey, don't watch trailers because they don't always represent the film the way that the film actually is. So the the trailer kind of sells it at what as one thing. Well, actually, it, mm, I don't know. I mean, the trailer does kind of show it, but it also does in clips and um, kind of sells you more on uh, more of a outwardly horror film, which some people might argue with me that this isn't a horror film. I will say fuck you because this is my podcast and I think it's a horror film. It's definitely a genre film. Um, but if you don't consider a horror film, whatever, but there's definitely horrific things in it. Um, it has some slasher elements in there. Um, and it has a bunch of other elements in it. Where was I going? See, this is going to happen. I don't even remember where I was going with this point. Um, oh, my expectations. Right. So I go to the theater with a few friends. We watch it and we go, huh? Well, that was interesting for sure. It was weird. Not exactly sure how I feel about it, but I don't know if I love it. I gave it three out of five stars initially. I need to pull my letterboxed up. Um, but I initially gave it like a three out of three out of five stars, which is super funny. Because um I have like the original review for it, because I never wrote a formal article about the Neon Demon. I've always wanted to like write an editorial about it, but um I never got around to it. But I do have like my original review and we'll go back. We'll we'll go to it after I talk about the movie for a little bit. Just to just because it's really funny, like the difference that um like it's really funny the difference between um how I felt about it initially when I watched it and how I feel about it now. Because every time I watched it, I just like I liked it more and more. Like every single time I just I found more things that I liked about it. Um, something else stood out to me. Um, you know, one thing or the other, I just kept liking it more. And it's such a rewatchable movie for me. I wa- I put it on in the background a lot. Um, um, like whenever I'm working on things or editing. Um, I love listening to the score for it. So I can always just put it on the background. It's one of the few scores that I listen to on a regular basis as well. Um, shout out to Cliff Martinez. We'll get to that a little bit more in here in a minute. But, um, yeah, every time I watched it, I was just like, oh, hey, I like this a little bit more. Oh, hey, I like this a little bit more. And then now, uh, I mean, Letterboxd says I've watched it, um, it says I've watched it 11 times, which I mean, I guess sounds a lot for a movie because I know a lot of people don't rewatch movies. So for some people, you're like, why? Are you, who watches a movie that amount of times in the past four years? But I know I've watched it even more than that. I might not have always logged it, or I might have fallen asleep and then didn't count it or something. But I watched this movie a lot. I watched it this morning while uh, setting up the, the podcast area uh, in the Bloody Blunt studio, if you will, a.k.a. the second bedroom in my girlfriend's house. Shout out to her for letting me film in here. So if you're watching on YouTube, um, that's I'm going to ruin the mystique now. But um, but yeah, so I, I watched it while I was setting up. And I've just, uh, I took some notes. Uh, I think I took some notes a few weeks ago. 
Um, I was, I had it on the background while I was uh, playing D and D, and I think that's why I took most of the notes. I took some notes this morning, and so it's a it's just a film that I love. So let me I'm just gonna scroll through my notes, and that's how we're gonna talk about this movie. So I would describe it as a fantasy horror film. I would say. Um, like I said, genre is up for debate, but I love genre films all around, so it doesn't really matter. Um, it's somewhat of a modern fairy tale. If I had to compare it to anything, I would say Alice in Wonderland is, um, I think the most obvious comparison. I wanted to watch that movie just so I can actually like map it out and like maybe do it like character for character. Cause I have a feeling they match up really closely besides, um, besides our main character, Jesse, um, being Alice. But I bet I could go character by character. Maybe Jen Malone's character is the Mad Hatter. I don't know. Um, fuck. And what is Jen Malone's character's name? I, uh, I have my notes up. But um, oh, Ruby. That's her name. Ruby. Or maybe Wizard of Oz. Ruby Slippers. Maybe Wizard of Oz. I don't know. But it. But this movie is. It's a fairy tale. Some of of sorts. So it is a fairy tale about Jessie. She is a runaway model who discovers the power of her beauty as she becomes a rising star in the modeling industry. However, Jessie's dream quickly becomes a nightmare as the ones who helped her want her beauty all for themselves. I don't know why I didn't put a comma there. Drenched in luscious colors and a god-tier synth score by Mr. Cliff Martinez, the Neon Demon is the exact flavor of aesthetically pleasing spooky nonsense that I just love. Uh, somebody made a sub category or sub genre for this movie and called it high class trash. I think it was red letter media maybe. And mm, I wouldn't call it that because it's not trash. It has a lot of themes and messages, but, um, but yeah, it is, but it also is aesthetically pleasing, spooky nonsense, uh, similar to Suspiria, which this movie also has a lot of, um, parallels with. We'll get to that here in a little bit. But uh, yeah, it's a modern take and homage to um, Jalo films. Gallo films? No, Jalo. Jalo. I'm going to go back and forth on pronunciations for a lot of things, so just fucking deal with it. Uh, no, Jalo films. And in my opinion, oh, that's what I put next in my notes. The film is a better reimagining of Suspiria than the remake we got in 2018, which is a good movie. Don't get me wrong. Um, but if somebody told me that the Neon Demon was a Suspiria remake, I would say, oh yeah, that makes sense. Um, or at least maybe the Neon Demon and Suspiria take place in the same universe, the same world. We have some parallels. We'll get to that a little bit later. So I already told you about how at first I was underwhelmed, but it quickly grew on me. Um, I talked about how at the film festivals, it gets standing ovations, it got booze, it got people walking out on them, um, all sorts of things. So one thing that I will say about this movie to start off with is we're going to talk about the dialogue for a sec. A lot of people say that is Nicholas Winding Refn, his weakness is his dialogue in films. Um, people, you know, some people don't like the dialogue and drive. A lot of people hate the dialogue and only God forgives. And at first I thought the dialogue in this was really weird, but at the, but then once I kind of 
wrap my head around it being in its own universe, this more surreal world, and that's just kind of the way that people talk, or that's the way that people talk in Nicholas Winding Refn films, similar to the way um, people kind of talk funny in uh, Yorgos Lanthimos films, which we will talk about a few of his films, uh, definitely in the podcast in the future. But um, at first, it was kind of weird to me. It's like kind of theatrical. It's like almost like it's almost like a stage play, the way that people talk and deliver certain lines uh, according to their character. So that is a turnoff for some people. And honestly, I remember uh, something I put in my very first review and something that I would still agree with now is that this movie could function as a silent film like People don't even have to be speaking. This could be entirely Cliff Martinez score, and I would absolutely love it. Like, I think that would be super cool if it was literally just his score the entire time. You can put captions or subtitles on it if you wanted to, but you don't have to. I think that would be a cool alternate version of this film. Um, it's something I kind of want to do in, like, one of my films, maybe. I want to do, like, I want to bring silent films back and just have it entirely, like, a nice like score and um you know licensed music but just captions though like nobody talking <clears throat> or like sounds from in it you know i have ideas for that or a film you know like back in the 1920s and 30s when silent films didn't have scores or audio at all they'd just have a dude in the corner going fucking ham on a piano imagine Cliff Martinez doing that on a synth performing this live. I'm sure I'm sure he's done it for like maybe I don't know if Cliff Martinez has like done the Hollywood Bowl or like done something similar that Hans Zimmer or uh, John Carpenter do whenever they whenever uh, they um, go on tour. But I think it would be super fucking cool. Um, give me a pause for a cause real quick as I plug my camera in. on the audio form. Maybe I'll love it. You guys are going to love this on the audio cuz like I said, I'm not cutting shit out. Maybe I'll cut this part out in the audio. But on the video, you guys are getting this, you guys are getting the goodies. Let me open this fucking ice cream. Maybe that'll help my throat. Some strawberry cheesecake ice cream. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's delicious. But yeah, I think that would be really cool um, if this movie didn't have dialogue. But the dialogue is important because there is definitely some very iconic lines in this movie that I love. But um, there's a conversation towards the beginning of the movie that really um, spells the movie out. Because one thing that people will say about this movie that I hate, I hate this criticism or this note about films in general because I think it's really stupid and lazy and doesn't make sense and I'm gonna harp on this multiple times throughout the podcast is style over substance I know I've probably used it in some of my like early early letterbox reviews but then once um I think I started making short films or, or attempting to make short films I think that's whenever I realized oh that's fucking stupid um 
It doesn't make sense. Because what does style over substance mean? That a lot of people like to say that whenever they think a movie looks nice and sounds nice and is like maybe well produced. And then, but they're saying that the movie says nothing. All right, sorry. Um, actually, I mean, I say sorry, you guys aren't going to notice anything. I said I wasn't going to cut or edit anything, but I didn't uh, make enough room on my phone while I was recording this. Um, I'm still figuring out how I want to record this because my photography camera doesn't record longer than 20 minutes and it doesn't flip out either so I can look at it. But I don't want to buy another camera yet uh, until I can make up some money. We'll talk about that later if you want to help me out with that. Um, but um, but yeah, so I'm, I messed up. But in the recording, it's just gonna, we're going to keep on rolling. Uh, well, at least as far as the video goes, who knows what this is going to look like. Uh, but the audio will definitely be just will be just fine. I just don't really remember where I was. Man, I was in the groove. And then, of course, I fucked it up by not, you know, fixing the fucking camera. So... Hopefully this doesn't fucking get weird. Oh, so I'm talking about the uh, bathroom scene because so we're we were talking about style over substance, right? And we were talking substance over style, and my rebuttal to people that say that about this movie is I would just show them this one scene if they've seen the movie and ask them, does this movie make sense according to this scene? Because Nicholas Wang Ruffin, he's not very subtle, or at least I don't think he is. I think that he uh, presents you with, you know, what you see is what you get. He's not trying to play tricks on you. He's not trying to make something really deep. He tells you what he's making this movie about in the dialogue. He just, and especially in this movie, this the scene basically spells it out to the audience. And it's a scene where our main characters, we have Jesse the uh, 16-year-old new model in L.A., um, and she is swooped up by a crew. There is makeup artist Ruby, played by Jenna Malone. Um, we have Sarah, who is played by Abby Lee, and then we have Gigi, who's played by Bella Heathcote. This is uh, the crew, we're going to call them the Trinity, if you will, um, of uh, the film. Uh, we'll get to why later, but we're going to call them the Trinity. And um, they are, it, it's hard to say at the beginning of the film. We're going to figure out that they are trying to recruit Jesse, not into being in their crew. They're trying to manipulate her so that way they can kill her and harvest her blood and do some witchy rituals and do some black magic shit. And they're trying to extend their lives. They're trying to live forever. Or they're trying to be beautiful forever. Maybe not live forever, but they're trying to be beautiful forever. Um, but I think because, um, well, we'll talk about it later, um, you know, what their ritual represented. But um, they, they are trying to harvest Jesse. They're harvesting her beauty. And... So at the in this bathroom scene, they're kind of sizing her up. They're not like I said, they're not outwardly. I mean, they're presenting themselves as friends, but at the same time, you know, some of the things that they're saying, um, 
definitely aren't hiding their intentions. So basically, um, first they're talking about lipstick shades and they're talking about the way that the industry sells things to women. Are you sex or are you food? Are you food or are you sex? Because that's what they try to sell everything on to women is food or sex. And basically what that says to me is that um, are you food or sex? Either way, women are something to be consumed. Their beauty uh, or their their youth, their vitality in some way, whether you're consuming it through them through media or trying to consume them sexually or in this case, trying to consume your life force. Um, either way, women, uh, the industry views women as food. That's basically as something to be consumed. That's basically the the satire. I mean, would I say satire? Yes. Yes, I would say satire. Because people like to, when you say satire, and they're like, do you even know what satire really is? If it was satire, it was fun. It would be funny. Or if it was satire, it wouldn't have to be spelled out to me. Blah, 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 blah. But that's bullshit. That's fucking bullshit. Um, because I say if it is making a mockery of the statement that's making if they're going against it and going with it like kind of being contradictory in a way that's kind of the way that I like to view satires like are you equally um making a statement against it if you're making a statement for it especially if it's something if it's a negative statement uh like this movie about the industry about consumerism about materialism uh, the movie does have a lot of things to say about that, about the industry, how it works. It is set in LA. Um, it's set in the modeling industry that is very high stakes. Um, it's very dangerous. Um, and it's, you know, women have this short window and, you know, they're judged and told certain things, um, and made to act a certain way. And it's, um, like I said, it's like, it's like, it's like, um, fucking hunting, like, fucking big game hunting, you know, the, everyone is out to eat you, consume you, but, um, these, the Trinity are presenting themselves somewhat as friends, and they're asking her, uh, is she food or is she sex, who is she fucking, because they're saying that's what everyone's gonna want to know, nobody cares about who you are as a person, or where you came from, what small town you came from, all they care about, according to Sarah, is who is she fucking, and uh, uh, how high can she climb? Can she climb higher than me? I think was the quote there. Can she climb higher than me? So, and then Gigi is talking about um, all the work that she's gotten done on her about um, why beauty is so important. Why beauty is like currency in the modeling industry, in the LA industry. Um. She has things to say about that, but she's very much about the vanity, about she's telling Jesse straight up like, hey, you're beautiful, uh, you're doe-eyed, you're young, you're in your prime, but don't get it twisted. It's fucking, it's, it's crazy out here. Don't get it twisted. So here in this scene, and then and Ruby is just kind of in the middle. Um, she's the one that takes after Jesse the most, um, that she seemingly seems like the most friendly and that she does have Jesse's interest in mind. Does she? Not really. We will find that out later. 
Um, Ruby's actually a fucking predator. Uh, Ruby fucking, if you want to look at some um, Me Too shit, you know, you want to call Me Too on something in a movie, um, you can call it on Jesse in this movie because she's a fucking freak. So, you have this bathroom scene that basically spells out the themes of this movie, what the characters are about, their intentions, their motives, because you can, like I said, they are being friendly and they're trying to get Jesse's trust. However, they are definitely not friendly. They are watching her and they're waiting for her to slip up. They're waiting to eat her and eat her they will. <laughs> That's what they're fucking going for. Oh man, my throat. See, this is why I couldn't smoke a whole blunt for this episode either. Jeez Louise. That would be rough. But in the scene, um, you you get the layout of the Trinity. So Gigi, as she's talking about the vanity, she's talking about all the work she's done. She even says that her doctor calls her, her plastic surgeon calls her the bionic woman. Uh, Gigi represents manufactured beauty in the industry. She's gotten so much work done that nothing on her face is real. Um, she goes through this extensive list of all the work that she's gotten done saying, you know, from cheeks to lips to eyebrows to, I think she says something about her forehead. She says something about bones getting moved. Um, I'm pretty sure she says something about her tits. I mean, she just goes down the list and Jesse's like, are you proud of that? And then she's like, well, of course, you know, I'm perfect. And then or, 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 Jesse might've said something about, uh, does it hurt or something like that? All the surgery, does it hurt? And Gigi responds with anything worth having hurts a little bit. And that's interesting, you know, that um, has a lot to say about ambition. What somebody is willing to do to get what they want, especially in the industry, is a theme that I connect with. Um, you know, I'm from the Midwest. I'm not from L.A. originally. I'm from St. Louis, St. Louis, Missouri. And I moved out here two years ago after dreaming of moving out here, you know, just like, you know, I did the whole artist thing, but I mean, I planned it out for a good three, four years. If you go back and listen to my old podcast, Jesus Take the Real, that's what I was always talking about, moving to LA. Uh, I talked, I visited LA and recorded episodes and stuff. That's like, you know, and it was a, it was a tough road, you know, it was a tough road, but it was something that gave me a lot of strength. Once I got here, be like, damn, I fucking got it done. You know, what was I willing to do to get it done? I was fucking working 65, 70 hours before I fucking moved out here. I was fucking drinking so much. And like, I mean, I was grinding and like by the like before I moved out here, man, I like looked like a zombie. But I had to do what I had to do to get it done. And so that's what so any movie that talks about ambition, especially in the arts, is a movie that connects with me. Where did I fucking put my water? There it is. So, Jessie represents ambition. She's ambition. She's natural beauty. Uh, throughout the movie, she gets everything handed to her. Everything's so easy. Um, she gets to work with the top photographers. Um, she gets to get features. She gets to close runway shows. She does... Everything is just hand to her. Everybody literally just tells her, like, Oh my God, you're the most beautiful thing. You're so powerful, Jessie. You have so much in you and you're perfect. And that's the way they treat her in the movie. 
So everything is handed to her. So Jessie is the, you know, she's the natural talent. You know, she's not necessarily working hard. Um, I mean, she does say something about she left her parents. I forget what town she was from. But, you know, she was the 16, 17-year-old that runs away from home and goes to L.A. to be a model. So, I mean, yeah, she has something in her, but she also has the natural shit that everybody keeps talking about. She's just got it, you know? Maybe it's Maybelline. I don't know. And, um, and then you have Sarah, who is the husband. Sarah is the old model. She resembles Jesse a lot. She looks like a very tired version of Jesse. I don't, I mean, I'm pretty sure that was on purpose. I mean, Gigi also looks like her, but she looks like the fake souped up version of Jesse. And so Sarah is, you know, she's still young, but as soon as Jesse's here, Jesse's the one replacing her. So Sarah is a little bit more bitter and she tells her straight up, can you climb higher than me? Where are you going to go? And so, I mean, Sarah is the one that is instantly on fucking, on her fucking ass. And she's worried about getting replaced because that's what the industry tells women. You know, once you hit a certain age, it doesn't matter. They always want the newer, prettier model. Um, So that's where you have uh, Gigi and Sarah And then you have Ruby. Ruby's not a model, but she is the makeup artist. So she creates beauty in a sense. So she is, you know, and Ruby's the witch. I don't know if Gigi and uh, Sarah are witches. I don't think they are. I think they follow Ruby. They are a part of her coven, maybe. But Jet or Ruby, Ruby is a witch or the witch of the movie, or she is the neon demon. If anybody is the neon demon, I don't think it's Jesse. It could be. We'll talk about it towards a little bit when we talk about the end of the movie. But um, it, it could be Jesse, but I think it's Ruby. Ruby's the neon demon here. And uh, she's the ringleader. She has Sarah and Gigi under her wings with, uh, you know, I'm sure she sells them on false promises of helping them with their beauty, retaining their beauty, getting younger, living forever, whatever their motives are. And she she comes off the most as as uh, Jesse's friend because she's a manipulative, crazy bitch. Crazy bitch. Sorry about um, if the volume fluctuates um, on the podcast. Hopefully I can just get it pretty even. But I don't like the microphone that I'm using. I um, ordered a new microphone. It came. But I didn't have the right hookups for it, so I sent it back. I'm going to get another microphone, but I was like, I can still record, so fuck it. It doesn't matter. And, uh, hold on, let me check the room. Yeah, we're still good. See, the one I had to also check. See, I've already had production issues. I've had some video things. I had to check the time and that we're still recording because I record everything a certain way. I'm also a one-man show here. Um, producing myself. You don't see the laptop and uh, mixer board in front of me, but I'm producing this myself. So again, bear with me, people. I'm going to try to keep this in a, in a good, good time frame. I'm going to try, I'm going to try. Um, hopefully everything keeps running smooth, but at the same, you know, cause this is going to be an editing nightmare. Can't wait. Yes. Yes. Can't wait. Shout out to congratulations. Babies know. Babies know that reference. Um, 
But yeah, so this bathroom scene pretty much spells out the entire movie. So I don't really need to summarize it. But basically, Jesse goes, uh, Ruby introduces her to people. Um, Jesse lands an agency instantly on her interview. Like she goes in, fucking Christina Hendricks tells all the other models to leave that they don't matter. Sign in, Jesse. You're going to get put in the show. I'm going to hook you up with fucking Jack MacArthur, this badass photographer. Like I said, everything is just given to her. So she aces the interview. Then she meets up with Jack MacArthur. He fucking closes the set down because he goes, yo, there's something special here. Has this, um, one of my favorite scenes in the film. He, um, there's this, um, photographer, this photo shoot. It's like in just a black background void and fucking, um, you think that Jack is a creepy photographer. Ruby kind of makes him out to be. She's like, oh, I'll protect you. I'll stay with you during the photo shoot. Jack makes her leave. Um, and you are meant to think that Jack is going to be this creepy dude. Some people might watch the movie and think he is a creepy dude, but I think this is, um, a really, the scene is a wonderful instance of how this movie subverts expectations. Um, because Ruby, like I said, um, is the makeup artist, female friend to Jesse. So of course you're going to automatically assume that she is Jesse's friend and that she's going to be looking out for her best interest when it turns out to be the opposite that she is literally preying on Jesse. And then in a movie like this, um, about the modeling industry, about, um, any industry, you would assume when the photographer closes the set down, wants to be alone with her, um, and fucking asks her to start undressing and shit, you think this is going to go bad. You think he's going to be the creeper. He's going to sexually assault her or something like that. And that ends up being the opposite. I mean, he's very, I mean, he's hands-on, and he does ask her to undress, but she seems comfortable with it. Um, Like, she, he never, he doesn't force her or anything. And I think what he did was he creates this moment where he's having this photo shoot, and he's rubbing paint on her, this gold paint in slow motion. It has one of my favorite tracks off of the Cliff Martinez score during this scene. It's just a really cool scene. And this is the first scene where you see something changing in Jesse. Um, something is awakening inside of her. She is tapping into that beauty and that confidence that everybody keeps telling her about. That like, oh my God, you're you're this it girl. Like this is like you are you're special. And I think this is the first time that she's feeling that, and that's because of Jack. Jack, you know, makes her feel very comfortable during this photo shoot. Um he he's very tender it's a it's a very intimate moment and for me I don't know if women watch this and they feel creeped out by it or they feel uncomfortable if it's meant to be uncomfortable I don't think it is I feel like it's supposed to be empowering it's supposed to be it's a uh you know it's vulnerable for Jesse but Jack um seems to support her and then make her feel comfortable and you see as at first, they're taking the photo. She does seem a little bit, you know, nervous and stuff. But then you see her relax and she's embracing it. And like I said, maybe Jesse is the neon demon. And this is also the first time that Jesse starts feeling that power within her. Um, maybe she's a vessel for the neon demon. And the neon demon is who the Trinity want to get the power from. Maybe. Maybe, or Ruby is the neon demon and she does a witchy ritual 
in which Jesse isn't anything in particular, maybe, but she is, um, she's special though. So I'm not sure, but, uh, but this, this photography scene is one of my favorite scenes of the film. Um, it just has some great cinematography to it. The colors has this glow on it because like, you know, she has the globe of lights on her, but it just has this real ethereal vibe to it. And I really enjoy it. It's a, it's a great scene. And like I said, uh, and Desmond Harrington, who plays Jack MacArthur, is an absolute scene stealer. He's only in a few scenes of the movie. He's in the very end. He's in this scene. And then he's kind of lurking in the background, um, I think, at like uh, at the beginning of the movie, um, at the party that they go to. And then a little bit later on, I think he's at the fashion show. But he's just kind of here and there. But Desmond Harrington has this, he has this energy to him. Like, he is, he's such a scene stealer. And, um, you know, it has just the slow motion. Jesse is entranced during this photo shoot almost. And um, it's just really cool. I really like this scene. Later on, you hear some more iconic lines um, that kind of reinforce some of the themes about this film. Who wants sour milk when you can have fresh meat? Um, Beauty isn't everything. It's the only thing. What's it feel like when you're in a room and you're the sun, and Jesse answers, it's everything, um, just some iconic lines from this film that, um, like I said, it wouldn't even maybe need to be spoken, because I think some people maybe like the dialogue, but they don't like the delivery of some of the actresses, which I think they're all perfect, um, but, um, if this was just all score and shit, I think it'd be cool to like, you know, just put those subtitles in like a really cool font because Nicholas Winding Refn and shit, you know, again, I think it would work. Um, I mean, like I said, um, Jesse just, everything's given to her. She meets with, uh, you know, these high end designers that want to put her at the end of the runway. Like she's closing out her first runway show, which is like, that's when Gigi is like, hold the fucking door. I always close shows what the fuck's going on, like, because she was, like, patting Jesse on the back, like, oh, it's your first, uh, your first show, blah, 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 and then as soon as it's revealed that Jesse's closing, Gigi fucking goes, um, she fucking snaps, turns her case really quick, and, um, she is no longer on Jesse's side, so, um, and then, so, she closes out the show, this is another moment where Jesse is feeling it, like, she just feels herself, she's feeling the power, she's feeling gorgeous, she's feeling sexy, and, um, it's a really fun scene, um, it's a, another great score, um, by Cliff Martinez, um, some great colors, some flashy lights, if you are epileptic, um, I would warn you not to watch this movie, um, I don't know why movies don't have, like, seizure warnings anymore, really, um, but if, uh, this movie definitely deserves one. So if you have not seen this movie and you are planning on watching it, make sure um, you are not photosensitive. Um, but a really cool scene. And then, so Jesse at this point, she is feeling it. She is changing as a person. Um, she is treating her friend. Um, fuck, what's the photographer's name? Uh, he's played by Carl Glus- Glusman. Dean is the photographer. Friend Dean, he's the one that takes the pictures of her at the beginning of the film for her headshots and um, for her modeling stuff. And um, he, you you don't, I mean, he seems like he's being a genuine friend and cares about Jesse, 
But at the same time, he keeps asking, like, oh, did they say anything about my photos? Like, about your photos? Um, can you submit some stuff? And blah, blah, blah. Um, so he is kind of manipulating Jesse and trying to use her to help him further, um, you know, the shit that he's trying to do. But at the same time, he seems like he is one of the few people that is genuinely looking out for Jesse. We see this later as he stands up to Hank, uh, played by Keanu Reeves, who has a weird fucking role in this movie. He's a sleazy hotel manager and he has fucking, he has these great lines like fucking, uh, what, what was the line? Uh, he's talking about a fucking young girl in another room that he's fucking housing. Room 14, room 214, gotta be seen. He says some fucking weird shit. Um, Keanu Reeves is only in a few scenes of this movie. This was before the Keanu Sans, I guess, because everybody loves Keanu Reeves now. I've always loved Keanu Reeves. Um, I mean, the Keanu Sans is great, but he never went anywhere because this was a brief appearance, but I loved it. He also appeared in The Bad Batch around this same time, another movie that I love. Um, I think it was also in 2016, and he was fantastic in that. So I was way ahead of the Keanu Sans, but he's great in this movie as Hank. Kind of wish he was used a little bit more, but I mean, he does what he's supposed to do. And it's, um, you know, everybody loves Keanu. He's known as, you know, this likable, lovable guy. Um, and you don't like him. He's kind of sleazy in this, so it's cool to see him play against type. Speaking of lovable, I think it's time to show our little guest here. He's awakened from his nap. Um, if you're listening on the podcast, just the audio form, I'm sorry. This is why you should watch the YouTube version because you'll get to see this little face. Come here, Papa. Come here, Papa. Oh, yeah. Get those grunts in there. This is Harley. Harlito. My little boy. Well, my girlfriend's little boy, but it's my little boy, too. You need to be watching the YouTube for this face. I mean, look at him. He is the sweetest. Oh, my God. And I need to do some Harley ASMR. Like, listen. Talk to him, Harley. What you got to say? What you got to tell the people? Can, can Papa get a kiss? No, no, no. He is. Ah, knock my headphones out for a second. But, uh, yeah. He, he hates me right now. He's kind of sleepy. But, um, yeah, watch the YouTube. Say hi, Harley. Okay, I'm going to put him down now. Unplug my headphones a little bit. Oh, what a sweet fucking boy, huh? Like, what a sweet boy. Uh, like, I'll, I'll put this clip on Instagram or something at some point because Harley's a fucking star. Oh, yeah, that was nice. Um, He will be fucking just rocking with me because that's what he does. Oh, what a sweet boy. But anyways, actually, I'm going to hit this bong first. Now we're talking. Uh, so we're we're this could be a long episode. That's okay. The they will get shorter. I promise. Um, I did say I was gonna talk about this one more. We're gonna kind of fly through Starry Eyes, but um, but yeah. So 
everything is handed to Jesse. It seems like she's just going to get everything she wants. She's on the top. She's feeling herself. She is confident. Fucking Ruby um, is trying to stick with her, and Jesse's kind of slipping out of her grasp. That's when Jesse decides, oh, this is the time to fucking try to have sex with her. Fucking Jesse's a virgin, and Ruby's like, ooh, let me fuck you. Let me be your first. And uh, it's messed up. She she fucking tries to rape her. She fucking starts making out of there and jumps on top of her and fucking. And like I said, that's really cool that you would have assumed this scene from the uh, from Jack, from the photographer. But you wouldn't assume this from Ruby. And you we don't see this a lot in horror films. You know, um, females being the ones that are um, uh, sexually assaulting people. That's something we don't really see, um, you know. I just think it's interesting. Um, I I would say, is this movie a feminist movie? Uh, I mean, I don't know, kinda. Um, does it pass the Bechdel test? I don't know, but I just find it interesting. It's just a theory. That's uh, you know, it's just a theory. But um, we we think it's all cookies and cream, but then this is where the movie kinda has a little tonal shift. Some people don't like it. I do. The third act of this film turns into a slasher movie, which I dig. Um, like it's set in a fucking empty mansion. Jesse gets invited over by Ruby. Gigi and Sarah are there. Fucking Jesse goes, Oh, is this a party? And they this is where and they fucking come after, they fucking hit Jesse. They're chasing her. Fucking uh Jesse's got a knife. Fucking uh, Sarah fucking punches her in the face. They're fucking chasing her. There's a really nice chase sequence um, uh, throughout the mansion. Some really great colors. Um, some really great cinematography. And uh, it's really fun. It's a really fun sequence that eventually ends with Jesse at the bottom of a pool. Um, fucking she gets pushed in. Uh, they corner her outside around the pool and fucking push her in. She just fucking breaks and fucking dies. And the Trinity is looking at her like she has a tasty, tasty treat because that's what she is, I guess. And uh, the ritual that I keep talking about because these are some witchy bitches um, harkens to the uh, the Countess, uh, the Blood Countess. Uh, fuck, what was her name? I wrote this down somewhere. I wrote this down. Oh, I know I did. Let me fucking Google it. Um, but you know, the, the blood countess Bathory, uh, Elizabeth Bathory, I think they're, uh, paying homage to her or not paying homage, but referencing her as we later see Ruby taking a bath in Jesse's blood, presumably while Gigi and Sarah are taking a very, very hot shower, uh, washing presumably Jesse's blood off. Let me say, because I am a man. I'm pleased easily, guys. Some people would say this movie's sleazy. Um, it's not, like, very overtly sexual. I mean, it is sexual, and it has some sexual explicit scenes. But, I mean, there's nothing overly sexual, and it's not without reason, except for maybe this scene. People might say it's indulgent. Um, I say auteur filmmakers uh, should be indulgent. If you want something in your film, that's what you do. If that's your taste. And Nicholas Winding Refn, he makes sexy movies, people. 
So if some people want to say that this scene is objectifying the girls, um, I argue, I say nay. I say this is the women empowering. Like, this is them empowering themselves. They they are feeling the life force from Jesse. They are either trying to be young or they're trying to be more beautiful. Um, the film isn't really explicit on which, but that's what we see. Um, we see that. We see fucking Ruby laying on the floor and then releasing a puddle of blood from her. I think this is her, like, new life cycle now that she's done the ritual. So maybe Ruby is immortal and has these powers to create beauty. And then she just imbues Gigi and Sarah with more beauty. That's my theory. My theory also, like I said, this could be set in the Suspiria universe because it's kind of similar, or it could be just a Suspiria remake because, you know, it's kind of similar to you got the, the, the witches of Suspiria and they do rituals. I mean, it is closer to the 2018 Suspiria if you, if you watch that film. But I think, uh, it, I think it's safe to say that um, one could consider the Neon Demon a like spiritual sequel or in the same universe uh, movie to the 1977 Suspiria, which I love. Or, like I said, you could tell me this was a remake. I go, cool. I go, that checks out. And that is uh, the Neon Demon. Um, I pretty much went through most of my notes. It, um, Man, I just really love this movie. I've seen it a lot of times. And I just really enjoy it. So this next movie, I found vi- um, not too shortly after I saw The Neon Demon. Because the first time I watched this, I said, this is a better version of The Neon Demon. Or, on, um, or it does the themes better than The Neon Demon does. Um, I, I had a lot of compare and contrast in my Starry Eyes review on Letterboxd, on my very first one for this movie. And I enjoyed it quite a bit. Starry Eyes, um, directed by Kevin Kolsch and Dennis Widmeyer. Um, these guys recently did the remake of Pet Cemetery, So I was really selling people on Pet Cemetery because I said, yo, he, they made this movie Starry Eyes. It's fucking phenomenal. People have been finding it recently um, as it's been on a lot more streaming websites. Fuck. This audio is going to be all over the place volume-wise. Yes! <sighs> I'm really surprised I haven't, like, taken more breaks in between. Like, I've been fucking rolling, and this is a long episode to start off with. So, hopefully you guys are sticking with me. But we're trudging into the second movie, and like I said, this one, um, I'm not going to talk about as much. I'm going to give it a quicker rundown, and I'm going to compare the two a little bit. Some of these, par- there's, a, there's a few parallels here and there. I didn't have nearly the amount of notes for this movie as I did for The Neon Demon. Um, but, so I watched it and I was comparing it to The Neon Demon in my head. I said, wow, this movie is, um, you know, it's more grounded. I mean, actually it's not grounded because it does also have demons and cults and rituals in it. Um, but it's a, it's a more straightforward version. Um. Starry Eyes is a little bit meaner. It's a little bit more cruel. Um, it's not vibrant uh, look-wise like the Neon Demon is. Um, it has um, kind of this um, stilted kind of color palette. Um, it's like kind of flat. It has some really good shots in it, but it is kind of flat. 
um, but on that way on purpose. And um, this movie came out in 2014, so it came out before The Neon Demon, but I saw it after The Neon Demon. And the starry eyes, I've seen this movie quite a few times. It has a really, um, a similar to The Neon Demon, it has a really cool score that I really enjoy, um, that I listen to in my free time, um, by fucking, um, by Jonathan Snipes. It's a very great score. And, um, it like has this adolescent twinkling sound because this is also kind of like a dark fairy tale, um, more similar to, um, uh, I don't know, Maleficent maybe? I haven't seen Maleficent, but that would be what my guess would be if I had to compare this to a Disney princess movie because um, our main character, Sarah, is not exactly a princess by the end of this movie. Um, Starry Eyes follows a actress, uh, Sarah Walker. She is the typical, she's living in LA, she's auditioning as an actor, she's trying to book roles, she's working at a shitty fucking restaurant that objectifies her and all that jazz um, that she hates, um, called Big Taters. Um, she's doing the thing, she's not really booking anything, she has the worst millennial friends you could think of, um, of other artist type people, filmmakers and actors who care more about themselves and what they're doing and putting on a show than they are in supporting one another, you know, the typical LA fucking lifestyle. Um, I mean, I, I won't, I, I'm not saying that for me. I love my friends. I have, I have a good crew, but a lot of people, um, can be in these situations, um, feel like they have these fake friends. Um, Sarah's only friend, um, her roommate, Tracy is the only one that, um, is really her friend. But so, and then she has an audition for a horror film called The Silver Scream by Astraeus Pictures, this um, mysterious production company. Um, Apparently, they haven't had a hit in a while, but hopefully this is the one. And Sarah's really excited and she goes in for the audition and she's not confident because she sees all these fucking girls that look exactly like her, you know, and I'm sure that any actor can relate to that because obviously when you go in for something, most of the time the roles of people going for that role are going to look the same. So it's like you go in for an audition, you're looking at all these fucking clones of yourself. I'm sure that is every actor's nightmare. Um, and she goes in, she does this audition. It doesn't really go so well. She's just kind of like, yeah, well, you know, she's, she, she, she does her best, but it's not the best. And then she goes into the bathroom and she is upset at her at herself in which she starts pulling on her hair. She has a fit in the bathroom stall and she's pulling her hair up. It's a real it's a real um, mental disorder. I'm going to butcher the shit out of this. Let's see. Trichotillomania. Maybe I'm not going to attempt it again because it is abbreviated as TTM, but is a um, it's where People are compelled to pull their hair out to kind of physically hurt themselves. And that's what Sarah does. She kind of punishes herself for not doing better in the audition. But little does she know, one of the casting directors was in the bathroom while she was having her fit. And they say, they were like, oh, maybe that isn't it. Maybe we have some more to see. 
So they bring her back in and they, um, there's two casting directors. Um, I don't know what their names are. I guess their names are Poe and Ashley, maybe? No. One is just the, oh no, their names are literally just the assistant and casting director. Perfect. Yes. Um, so the casting director says, Sarah, what were you doing in the bathroom? And Sarah says, oh, uh, you know, it's just a thing I do. And they go, she goes, I want you to do that for me again. And Sarah's like, what? And she's like, throw another fit, bitch. (laughs) And, um, the assistant played by Mark Center, he is what I would describe as a sterile version of Christian Bale. He is absolutely fantastic. He has just some fantastic line delivery um, in these audition pieces. And they get her to have a fit. She starts rolling around, screaming. She's pulling her hair. She's pulling her hair out. She is having this crazy fit. And the casting director and assistant are loving it. They're like, oh, yes, they're loving this shit. They say, we're good. We'll, we'll be in touch, Sarah. So she's feeling good about the audition, right? She's telling her friends. Um, certain friends like Aaron are fucking like, oh, you probably didn't get it. It's okay, though. I got this role, blah, blah, blah. I'm fucking Aaron sucks. Like, Aaron sucks. She's the one that you're rooting for that you're like, man, I don't know how, but I hope she dies. And that's what's going to happen. Um, fucking, um, Sarah is going to submit because we're going to find out here in a little bit because Sarah gets a phone call from them and says, you have a call back. You have a call back. And so after talking with her shitty friends, she has a call back. Um, they put her in this like weird fucking casting situation. Like, some like casting call for porn type shit where they just have a light shining on her and they tell her to get undressed and it's very uncomfortable. But this mirrors the or parallels the photography scene from the Neon Demon because at first Sarah is very uncomfortable and they're just flashing the lights and they're telling her to just look within, let it out, uh, unleash herself to be vulnerable, uh, shit like that. They're just like, yes, let it out, let it out. You know who you are, Sarah. And they want to see it. We want to see it, Sarah. And so she starts off pretty uncomfortable. But then as she goes, you see flashes of a monster. Her fucking teeth are all sharp. And she's like dripping blood from her mouth. But you see her like having this like sexy look on her face. Like she's like fucking. It's like she's masturbating on this camera. And that's the parallels of, like I said, the casting couch type shit. It's somewhat uncomfortable. Um, I would say it's definitely more, uh, is meant to be uncomfortable. It's not meant to be empowering like it was in the Neon Demon. But, uh, once again, the casting director and assistant love this shit. So, she's feeling good after this callback, right? Sarah's changing. She feels good after this callback. She immediately goes back to her job and quits. She fucking sticks it to her boss and you're like, yeah, good for you, Sarah. I'm fucking glad you finally got some balls. Because Sarah, uh, she was kind of meek at the beginning. But she's starting to change. She's getting more confident. She thinks she already has the shit in the bag after the callback. She's, so she's she's on it. And um, her boss is played by Pat Healy, who is uh, from Cheap Thrills. He produces and directs some movies. Um, great genre actor and filmmaker. 
Um, he plays her boss and she fucking quits, does all of her shit. Cause she's like, I got this role. I'm about to be famous. Fuck yes. Uh, fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. I'm out. And, uh, she fucking bounces from big taters. So she's feeling herself. Um, see again, we're having some parallels between Jesse and Sarah as they are, uh, realizing their potential, um, as you know, they're being influenced by these outside forces they're starting to change their, um, their demeanors as well. Um, you know, she's laughing at her friends, uh, breaking their face on the ground, which is fucking hilarious. It's like, it's a really quick scene, but I love it. Um, and, um, you just see them changing. She's talking shit to her friends, um, saying, I don't need to be in your short film. I'm about to book this shit. I quit my job, blah, blah, blah. She's, uh, being a bitch to her roommate, all these, all these things. And she gets a call and, She's got a meeting with the producer. Um, this is where shit gets gross. <laughs> um, they she gets a meeting with the producer. She goes to his office, and they're gonna offer her the role in person. You know, assume him, uh, is what Sarah assumes, and um, she's gonna meet him and talk. And so she meets him. She uh wears this gorgeous red dress. She looks fantastic. Um, Alexandra Esso, gorgeous gal in this uh, movie. Uh, shout out to Elle Fanning in the Neon Demon as well. I never, uh, never said Elle Fanning once. Um, but anyways, um, she's gonna go to the producers. Um, he fucking starts giving her a speech. Hold on, I need to smoke up for this one. I uh, advise you to smoke up for the next section of this as well. Very uncomfortable and gross. So how a lot of casting, creepy casting directing, uh, or creepy producers in Hollywood go? We have a meeting with the producer. Yeah, a lot of the times it is to discuss roles in person and things like that. But when you have a fucking predator, someone that's after you, manipulating you, if you got like a fucking Harvey Weinstein type, this is a great movie to go back. Um, you know, this movie started popping back up around Me Too uh, when me, the Me Too movement was starting. And, um, it's great. Like this is, uh, as a, as a cautionary tale, this movie isn't, uh, empowering women and they're not trying to tear her down because I mean, I guess they do empower her in a way, but they're not trying to tear her down either. But this is a cautionary tale. So basically he's talking her up, filling her head up with promises saying they're going to make her a star. Um, they're going to give her the role. She's going to be a star, this going to launch her career, blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, all you got to do is submit, girl. And he starts rubbing her thighs. She's obviously uncomfortable. She tries to be professional and keeps talking about the role, asking if they need to see anything, stuff like that. And he tries again. He tries to uh, do another move on her. And Sarah freaks out, and she leaves. And she leaves. She's upset. She goes back, and this is where Sarah comes down to earth a little bit tells uh you know Tracy what happens Tracy then tells all of their shitty friends so then everybody knows so Tracy is still kind of shitty I guess that's the one shitty thing that she does in this movie is she tells everybody about this shit um so she tries to get her job back at Big Taters because she didn't think she thinks she fucked it up didn't get the role because she didn't fucking you know fuck around with the producer which is fucked up that's a that's a fear that some women have I assume that when they're put in these situations and they think that, 
you know, they're fill, getting their head filled up with lies and promises that this is going to advance their career and things like that. It's it's scary. And, and that's this is where people try to blame them. They try to victim blame and say, well, you still chose to do it, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, uh, this movie does a really horrifying depiction of it. But um, we don't know what goes on in those casting rooms. We don't know. They know. So take that as you will. But um, so eventually later, uh, she takes some Molly or some acid with her friends. They're having a little bit of a party. They're trying to make her feel better. Um, her friend uh, Danny, who sometimes throughout the movie, he's very similar to fucking uh, Dean, the fucking photographer in The Neon Demon. Danny is a filmmaker. He's working on a new script, and he, um, after um, Sarah thinks she didn't get the role in the silver screen, he says, well, you can be in my movie, and they have a moment, and then they take the drugs. So then they're partying, but then Sarah is feeling shit. Um, or no, not yet. She's not feeling shit, but she fucking, she's tripping, and then gets drunk or whatever. She calls the producer back and says, I'm coming back. I want this role. She fucking goes back and fucking... This is where it's really uncomfortable is she goes back. She's fucking all fucked up. So obviously she's going to get taken advantage of. She's going to get sexually assaulted, which is fucking, this is the shit that happens. You know, it like, this is, you know, in essence, you know, getting roofied and this shit happening, but except she's, you know, kind of on her own volition, even though she took some drugs and he says, you ready to submit? She says, yes, fucking, he makes her give her a fucking, one of the most uncomfortable blowjobs ever. Uncomfortable blowjob. Oh, hashtag uncomfortable blowjob. <laughs> um, and it's fucking gross. As the blowjob is happening, some fucking people in masks come around. That's when you figure out that these fuckers are in a cult. Astraeus Pictures is a cult. It's a cult. Um, and that's when you're just like, oh shit, but Sarah submitted now. She submitted. We don't know what that means. She wakes up in her bed, but she's all she's kind of sickly. Um, they tell her that she's gonna have to shed her form and destroy those around her if she wants to really ascend to uh, being a star. So, Sarah, she starts ascending, and it does not look good. So, I wrote an article about starry eyes uh, for Nightmare on Film Street. Um, it was more of a genre breakdown than an actual, I mean, I break down the story and some themes in there, but it's more of a genre breakdown about how Starry Eyes is a psychological bo- body horror film. Um, and what I mean by that is we have an obvious body horror is because after the uh, uncomfortable blowjob, Sarah is feeling sickly. She's falling apart. Her like skin and nails and hair start falling out her teeth, like all the gross shit. And it's like real gnarly, some real fucking makeup because this was a shoestring budget. And um, she falls apart and destroys her body. And so, but that's like, um, you know, the fear that women have that they can't control their own body, that they're not in control, that everyone else is trying to be in control of their body. And that's a, that's a real fear that a lot of women have, especially in the industry. So that's where both these movies are really great in reflecting that and showing the terror in that. So, Sarah is falling apart. She's dissing her friends. Um, but then she finds a bunch of money because she fucking disses Tracy. Tracy wants to kick her out, but then she fucking finds a bunch of money from Astraeus. She pays her. 
Fucking, and then the final circuit of this movie, similar to the Neon Demon, turns into a slasher movie. Um, except instead of our protagonist being chased and killed, fucking Sarah is the slasher. Because, like uh, Astraea said, the producer said, you don't not only have to destroy yourself, you have to destroy everything around you. And that's what fucking Sarah does. She kills all of her shitty friends. And that's where this movie... um. It's a little mean, but at the same time, all of her friends are written so shittily that you don't care that she kills them, like, very brutally. She kills fucking one person with a dumbbell. Um, She kills fucking... She kills Aaron. <laughs> she has to stab her. She has to try to put a bag over her head. Um, What else? She, like, hits her in the head with something, I think. I mean, she is just uh, fucking has to do everything because Aaron will not go down, and it's uh, it's really great. Uh, she suffocates her with the plastic bag, I think is how she actually does her in. Super fucking funny. Um, I mean, not funny, but it is, and the effects are really great. On Sarah and on the exploding heads and stabs in this movie. Um, it's a, it's a great slasher circuit. I really enjoy it. And so, it's interesting because similar to Jesse and the Neon Demon... Sarah accepts, you know, this power that she believes she has inside of her, um, believes in this power. Um, she give she has already given herself to Astraea, so whether she really wanted to or not. And after she kills all of her friends, she goes and lays in bed and fucking, um, or no, and then she like gets buried alive or some shit. She gets buried alive. Um, the Astraeus people bury her alive. They circle up, they do a ritual around her. That's where I have this tattoo from, is their symbol. And then Sarah is reborn from the fucking ground. She, like, comes out of the ground. She has pristine skin. She has no hair. She has these gorgeous fingernails, these fucking shiny jade acrylics. And she has jade-colored, sparkly, glowy eyes. She's fucking looking better than she's ever looked. She's reborn. She's this new being, and she goes and lays in bed. And she uh, kills Tracy, which kind of sucks because, like, her roommate was the one person that was trying to maybe be her friend. I mean, she was, but then she did, like, spill the beans to all of her people, which is really fucked up. So, I don't know. Did Tracy deserve it? I don't know. But it's great. She, like, at least she doesn't get a painful death. Fucking, she gets to make out with Sarah, and then she fucking dies. And then Sarah... Puts on a wig and her new dress, and she is ready for the red carpet, baby. And that is Starry Eyes. Um, I said I wasn't going to just, like, recap these movies, but I guess I did. I did it pretty quickly, though. Like I said, these movies, they are very similar in a way. They kind of compare and contrast. Um, some parallels... Um, I mean, they're about the same thing, so I'm not going to really break down Starry Eyes like I did the Neon Demon. Um, there's a lot of, um, you know, implications of, um, you know, sexuality and sexual assault in Starry Eyes. Similarly featured in um, the Neon Demon as well. It has a lot of the same things. I mean, the producer pretty much raped her. I'm going to drop the R word because it exists. I call it what it is. It's fucking fucked up. And so it's like a cautionary tale. Be weary. You know, like what 
and it's you know asking it's that fear that women have what are they willing to do what do they think they're gonna have to do what have they been conditioned to um that they've been told that they have to do um to succeed that's fucked up you know so it's a very it's a it's a cautionary tale yet sarah at the end gets what she wants maybe um you know her ambition led her to kill all of her friends and but astraeus true to their word like a like very few cults out there they stayed true to their word they fucking held up their end of the bargain many cults they're gonna lie to you you're gonna end up dead eventually they fucking stayed true they said hey if you do what we say we're gonna reborn you you're gonna be a star i mean we don't see the aftermath we don't see like them filming the film which i wish they did that's one thing about this film that i really wish i wish that um we got just like a few scenes of like a trailer for the silver screen where we see Sarah or we see her on the red carpet getting interviewed, something like that. Like they could have had, cause this movie is under 90 minutes. It's like 83 minutes, I think, uh, minus credits. And I wish they, they could have extended just another 15 minutes and night wrapped it in a nice tidy bow. That's one thing that I always wish about this movie, but, um, it, you know, it's kind of like a, you know, a fairy tale in the aspect of like, you know, be careful what you wish for because she got what she wished for. So, I mean, you can look at it from that aspect um, as far as being a dark fairy tale in the same vein as the Neon Demon. Um, is Hollywood an STD? Is that what there is that what uh, the body horror is saying about this movie? Um, pretty much like she, you know, gets infected by the producer and she starts falling apart and is is Hollywood an STD? Is it a disease in real life? Is that what the directors are saying? Um, I mean, it's kind of, if that is what they're saying, they've kind of went back on that because then they did the big budget remake of Pet Cemetery, and then people didn't really like it, which, which sucks. But, um, so, I don't know. If that was their message, they definitely kind of went back on it. But it's more about the fear that women have in the industry. That's what both these movies are about in, in an essence. Um, but in different ways, they go about, you know, teeter-tottering between empowering and being like, hey, be careful. Um, just uh, some other compare-contrast notes. The budgets are significantly different. The Neon Demon was produced by Amazon Studios for $7 million. Not a big budget or anything. But a, a solid budget, nonetheless, for um for a theatrical film. It didn't get released like uh super wide, but it did have a pretty good theatrical run. Um, and then Starry Eyes was made for under thirty thousand dollars. I couldn't find an exact budget for it, but that's damn cheap. Like I mean, they the uh Kolsch and Widmire they were they made this shit in the streets. You know, they did it. They did it really indie style, but the but you wouldn't tell that by the way it looks. It very much, um, even though it doesn't have the visual flair that the Neon Demon has, it definitely is still on um, on par production um, quality wise. But um, like I said, I already uh, talked about the parallels between the photography scene and the callback scene. There's another a parallel where we both have audition scenes of multiple girls of the that look exactly the same. We have it at the beginning of Starry Eyes for the initial audition. 
And then we in the Neon Demon, we have it towards the end for the girls auditioning for the runway show in which Jesse is in a room with a bunch of models that look exactly the same. And um, they all look exactly the same. And these they're very similar, except Jesse's is towards the end and it helps her get discovered versus Starry as it's more towards the beginning. Um, they both have fantastic scores um, that drive the film. Um, both of them are, um, some of my favorite scores, but Cliff Martinez doing the Neon Demon specifically, I listen to that score when I do yoga quite often, uh, that's usually my go-to track, um, but I, I, or I'd listen to it in the morning, it's fun to listen to at night, I've listened to it while doing other things, um, and, uh, it's a, it's a really great score, and it's one of my favorites, but, whew, I think that's about... What I have to say about most about those two films, you know, um, if you watch these two films, you definitely see my taste in films. Um, you see, I like a dark comedic edge. Um, I love visually aesthetic and pleasing films. And another cut, because the lady just got home, but that's okay. Um, but yeah, as I'm wrapping up, um, my thoughts about these films. They're very similar in their visual aesthetics that I really enjoy going for. <clears throat> um, uh, I love films driven by music. The Neon Demon more so than Starry Eyes does. Uh, Starry Eyes just happens to have a really good score. It's not necessarily uh, a part of the movie like it is with The Neon Demon. Uh, Nicholas Winding Refn kind of embeds the scores into the subject matter of the film. Um Let's see, and they're both like dark fairy tales. That's about the end of my notes. Did you learn anything interesting? I don't know. I mean, uh, that's just my take on these two films. I'm no expert. I don't know if I'm reading into them too much, if I'm not reading into them enough, if I'm missing some stuff. But these are just uh, some interesting things that I find about these two films. Um... I said I think I connect with them mostly from the perspective as an artist. You know, I am a photographer and filmmaker. I moved to L.A. I'm a bartender trying to make it big. And um, I think that's why I relate to these kind of things. I um, relate my ambition uh, into the themes of ambition that come from both of these movies. Um, I guess I look at them more not looking... uh, looking up to them, but looking at them as cautionary tales of, you know, you don't have to do, you know, everything to get what you want, or do you, if you want to get to where you want to be, um, or it's just also reminding you how fucking cutthroat it is, um, you know, the way that the media looks at people in the industry, um, you know, so I connect to those two things, um, and, they are movies that I'd love to try and make. Um, you know, I fucking got a tattoo. I'm getting my Neon Demon tattoo next. If anybody's an artist out there and has some good and wants to sketch me up some shit, message me because I'm like looking for a design and uh, fucking shit's about to open back up for cor- from quarantine. And I'm ready to get uh, my starry eyes, or not my starry eyes tattoo, my Neon Demon tattoo. Um. Anything else about these movies? I mean, I gotta keep I gotta keep relighting this joint because I have my little fan. I think my little fan is blowing it out. Hmm. 
I think that's it. So, I mean, this is pretty much the way that this podcast is going to work. Not every episode is going to be this long. This is um, this is a long episode. That's okay. It, which is funny because I did tweet um, at one point. I said, I don't care who you are. I don't like your podcast if it's three hours. This one is will be close to two, maybe a little bit less than that. I'm not really paying attention to the time anymore. Um, <clears throat> but hopefully they'll be a little bit shorter. But we're fucking, it's loosey-goosey around here. Um, I'm just going to talk about these movies, what they mean to me, um, things that I notice about them, things I find interesting. Um, these are two films that I just highly recommend. Um, will you love it? I don't know. Uh, ne- I mean, more people have liked Starry Eyes. I haven't had anybody not like it versus The Neon Demon. I've had most people that I introduce it to, they enjoy it. Um, but I have had, I do know a lot of people that don't like the Neon Demon that think it's whack. I will say, as the experience that I had, watch it again. Because I think it gets better with rewatches. If um, you're not looking at it and being pretentious, don't watch the trailer. Um, and I think you might appreciate it a little bit more. But most people, most everybody I've showed Starry Eyes really, really enjoy it. Both films are on Amazon Prime as of the recording of this episode they usually are too um starry eyes is sometimes on tubi which is for free if you don't have prime um but uh neon demon will always be on prime because it's an amazon studios original so you should have access to both these movies at all times if you have not seen this and you're still listening by the end of this episode for some reason um two really great movies i watch them a lot i like to re-watch movies as you will learn um, about this podcast, because all these movies I'm talking about, for the most part, will be movies I've seen multiple times, or I will dive back into. I'll have some first-time watches in there as well, so you can get some like really fresh opinions. But um, I'm going to save more of that for the YouTube videos. So, you know, make sure you subscribe to the channel on YouTube. I'm not sure if this episode's going to have video or not. I still haven't decided. And if it does, I don't know what it's going to look like. Uh, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to see if I can put them together. I think I can uh, salvage it since I'm towards the end and I'm almost done. Um, So that is the first episode of the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club. Um, I'm really excited about this podcast, guys. Um, It's just a good time for me to sit here and chat with you. Have uh, some one-on-one time for me to just literally ramble. Like, I mean, if I did this for almost two hours, imagine if I did have a guest trying to cover these movies, we would go for a very long time and I'm selfish. I want to just, I want to talk about it myself. Um, but that's pretty much how this episode's going to work or how this podcast is going to work. Let's see what is up next. Cause I do have the next few. Oh, okay. So the fuck, where's that note go? I have way too many notes. Um, I know the next episode after this will be a um, a variety of movies we will be talking about. Um, basically, these will be the movies that I watched when I first got into horror as a kid. And, you know, what I thought about them then and what I think about those movies now. I will tell you now, if you want to be ahead of the game, that we will be covering primarily. We'll be talking about a lot of movies. But primarily, we're talking about Cube. Um, we are talking about David Cronenberg's The Fly, 
and we're talking about Wes Craven's A Nightmare on Elm Street. So if you want to be ahead of the curve, watch those movies before the next episode. It will not be up next week. This episode, or that episode, will actually be up along with this episode. I will be uploading both of them this Wednesday. So that is what you're watching for that for the next episode. <clears throat> Jeez, get it together, Junior. Um, and then the episode after that, which will actually come out next week, next Wednesday, episode number three, will be on Parasite. Just Parasite. Um, it will be a spotlight episode on my favorite movie of 2019, one of the best movies of the past decade. We're going to talk a, a lot, a lot more than we even talked about in this one. Um, it's not just going to be a, um, some recap bullshit like this was. Um, we're going we're gonna to really dig in deep because like that movie gives me a big old film boner like you wouldn't believe. I'm really excited. So, if you have not seen Parasite, which I think, you know, a lot of people by this point have since it was the Oscars uh, Best Picture winner, most people have seen it, actually, uh, which is great. But if you have not, make sure you watch Parasite before listening to next week's episode. So, that's what is coming up um, on the schedule. So, what I need you to do now as we come down from the uh, high we were on, we're going to take it down we're gonna close it out here in a minute make sure you subscribe on itunes or spotify or not itunes apple Podcasts, spotify um there's a few other like podcast um platforms i'm on just look for it um maybe i'll put it on soundcloud tell me what platforms you want to listen to it on but i think you know apple and spotify is the main one so go there subscribe download the episodes listen to them um go on itunes Leave the podcast a review. You don't have to say shit about the podcast. You can just say what's up. You can just, you don't even have to write anything. You don't have to write a real review unless you really feel like it. Um, You know, I like that shit. But it helps um the podcast get on like the charts and shit. So that way people can find this podcast. We can get this train going. And uh, yeah. So subscribe leave some nice words reviews of course follow me on social media uh on twitter and instagram at bloody blunts with three o's uh, make sure you follow me on uh, social media those are my personal accounts but the show is just me so i'm not making separate accounts just follow me you're gonna get a lot of other bullshit but you will uh, get the information about the podcast when it's dropping um, what movies are coming up, all that jazz. So make sure you follow me on social media and, uh, and chat with me. Like, I fucking love that shit. Like I'm on Twitter all the fucking time. I love, I love fucking mixing it up on online with people. Like I I love that shit. So, you know, follow me and talk to me. And then on my Instagram, you see a lot of my photography and, uh, some other shit. Make sure you subscribe on YouTube. Um, not only will the YouTube channel have, the visual episodes of the podcast, uh, which will go up on Thursdays. So the audible, the audio will go up on Wednesdays. The video will go up on Thursdays. So subscribe on YouTube for the videos on Thursdays on the YouTube channel. I will also do just like, you know, shortened clips from the podcast as well. Um, just so that way I can, you know, get some, get some more viewers and all that jazz. So follow me on YouTube because I think you'll enjoy it. I like the format and what it looks like so far. Um, 
hopefully I can get all this shit in line. And um, lastly, since this, since I do smoke weed in this, you see me, you hear me talk about it. Um, YouTube is not going to monetize these videos, most likely. Um, I don't know. Maybe I can censor them, but I don't want to. That's more work. Um, so if I can't make, um, you know, if I can't make money off of these videos on YouTube and you would like to support me because this shit does cost a little bit of money, you can follow me on Patreon. You can subscribe on Patreon. Um, if you don't know what Patreon is, it is a website where you can support independent creators and give money that go towards things like, um, you know, the hosting fees for the podcast, um, upgrading my equipment, which I'm always doing, things like that, um, you know, able to do more episodes until I possibly get some sponsorships. That would be nice. Uh, fucking Shutter, Manscape, fucking I got my Raycon earbuds. Any of y'all fucking get at me. But um, I'm not gonna make any money off of this. I I'm currently unemployed uh, due to the COVID stuff. I'll probably be going back to work here soon. But it'd be nice to not have to go back to work soon. Um, so you know, if eventually down the line I can fucking sustain off of Patreon from you guys, that would be great. And what do you get for supporting me on Patreon? You get shout-outs on the episodes, um, on the Audible form and in the end credits. Um, I will give the Patreon shout-outs for the lowest tier. The middle tier, I will do a bonus Patreon-only episode. Um, it will be only for you guys to listen to. Um, and I'll do, and it will be chosen by you. You guys will choose the movie or topic, and I will record an episode just for you. And if you are a top dog in the top tier, um, we will do a like fucking commentary, live commentary movie watch along. We'll pick a movie, me and the homies, we'll pick a night at the end of the month, we'll fucking watch a movie together, I'll give my commentary, I'll have a commentary track in case you want to listen to it later, and uh, that should be a fucking hoot, right? Have a movie night with your boy. So yeah. Um, check out, uh, subscribe to all the links. I'll have all that information in the description of the podcast and on the YouTube videos. Uh, sorry, there's a lot of information to get out at the end of these first episodes, but you know, now you know all the things. So subscribe, listen, share this with your friends, tell them about the podcast, tweet about the podcast, tweet at me about the podcast, post it on Instagram, fucking show me your Frenchies. Um, you know, just do all the things. Thank you for listening to the Bloody Blunts Cinema Club. I will catch you guys later. <laughs>